Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. This episode contains descriptions of extreme violence. Please take caution while listening. Hello, and welcome to Pop Crime, where we discuss everything from the gossip to the gavel, the latest scandals, trending legal dramas, as well as the infamous crimes and dirty deeds of the pop culture past. I'm Kiki Monique. If you follow me online, you probably know me as the talk of shame, your go-to source for the biggest pop culture stories and trending legal sagas. I love to consume all the news, books, TV, movies, and other media and break down the stories so you don't have to. Every week, I'll unpack a new story in the pop culture true crime world, either something that's happening in real time or a reach back into the past. And I'll even have some of your favorite creators, attorneys, journalists, other pop culture accounts, and more on the show to weigh in. Joran Vandersloot is a murderer who, in 2023, finally confessed to the brutal killing of teenager Natalie Holloway, 18 years after she went missing. Though this isn't the first confession he has made about Natalie. The Alabama high school senior went missing during a graduation trip in Aruba on May 30th, 2005. Her body was never found. After Yorn was suspected of and jailed during the investigation of Natalie's death, He lost his college scholarship and became a gambling addict who drifted from place to place. And in early 2008, Dutch crime reporter Peter DeVries aired undercover video he recorded working together with an associate in a sting operation in the Netherlands. In the video, Joran professed to be with Natalie when she suffered a seizure and went unconscious and his friend dumped her into the ocean. The video was ruled inadmissible, and Joran later claimed he made up the story just to impress the acquaintance he was with. Later that same year, Joran was living in Thailand and emailed Fox News reporter Greta Van Susteren. He agreed to an interview where he would tell her what happened to Natalie for $25,000. In the interview, he said he brought Natalie to a man he met who promised to pay him for young blonde Americans. Joran claimed that he brought Natalie to this man for $10,000. But as Greta returned to the airport, she received an email from Yorn where he said that everything he told her in the interview was a lie, and he did it for the money. Two years later, in 2010, Yorn contacted the Holloway family and told them he would reveal where Natalie's remains were for $250,000. Working together with the FBI, they decided to set Yorn up for his extortion plot and they paid him $25,000. The location Yorn took Natalie's father as the place where Natalie's body was left turned out to be another lie. But instead of the FBI immediately arresting and charging Yorn with extortion, for reasons unknown, they let him leave, and he booked it to Peru, where he met a young woman named Stephanie Flores Ramirez. On May 30th, 2010, 
the fifth anniversary of Natalie Holloway's disappearance, Yorn and Stephanie went back to his hotel room after a night of gambling together in the casino. Three days later, her body was found beaten and strangled. Yorn tricked two cab drivers into driving him all the way to Chile, and the day after Stephanie's body was discovered, Yorn is arrested and charged with Stephanie's murder. Today, Yorin sits in a prison cell in Peru after being convicted of the murder of Stephanie Flores. While serving his sentence in Peruvian jail, in 2023, he was finally extradited to the United States. Not for Natalie's murder, but on the extortion charges related to Natalie's family from 2010. In an Alabama federal court, he ultimately confessed to the murder of Natalie Holloway, but was never charged. Why? because it was part of his plea deal for the extortion charge. Ultimately, Yorin was sentenced to 28 years for the murder of Flores and 20 years for the Holloway extortion charges. His sentences are running concurrently. While in prison, Yorin has been approved for seven conjugal visits during his time in prison. One woman, Lady Figueroa, actually married Yorin and had a child with him. Yes, an incarcerated Vandersloot was able to experience getting married and having a child. Two things Natalie and Stephanie never will. Another girlfriend, Ava Pakahuanko, who started dating the married Yorin, was caught smuggling drugs into the prison for him and is currently a wanted criminal. Yorin received an additional 18 years on his sentence for that crime. Yorin Vandersloot is currently 36 years old and is scheduled for release in 2045, meaning he could be out in the world by age 57, a chance to still live a full life. Tragically, the way Yorin was able to get away with so much for so long was because of his lies. There are still doubts about whether what Yorin has said in court is true. His lies go so deep and are so pathological, they're almost impossible to untangle. It's incredibly important to me that we keep the victims top of mind when telling these stories, and that I bring in experts so we can talk about these types of crimes in a responsible way. That's why today, we are joined by Christopher Castle, the director and executive producer of the documentary Pathological, The Lies of Joran Vandersloot, along with criminal psychiatrist Aisha Ashai to discuss the new insights, new interviews, and shocking revelations from the film, as well as the psychology behind pathological liars, murderers, and those people who are close to them. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. 
You can choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you lose a button or spill something or just need to take a break. They have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. Get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code POPCRIME20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code POPCRIME20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code POPCRIME20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, Christopher and Aisha. Welcome to Pop Crime. I'm excited to have you here to discuss the lies of Joran Vandersloot. Great to be here, Kiki. Thanks for having us. Now, the term pathological right now is really interesting because I don't know if you've heard there is a viral woman going around named Risa Tisa who talks about her pathologically lying ex-husband um, that's currently trending. And it's sort of become like this humorous, you know, cautionary tale about this man who lies about any and everything. But after watching your film, um, there's really so much more that goes into the type of person that is a pathological liar. So I really am eager to talk about that. But I, you know, I want to start from the beginning because this documentary centers around Natalie Holloway, her family, Stephanie Flores Ramirez, her family, and then their murderer, Jorn Vandersloot, and his family. And, you know, what's interesting to me is you know, as soon as Natalie goes missing and her mother arrives in Aruba, Yorin is identified pretty soon, right away. The locals kind of know him. Um, it makes me wonder, you know, you go into his past a lot about, you know, his problems as a kid and sort of, you know, I think he was, you know, harming animals and that sort of thing. I'm curious for the both of you, do you believe in sort of that bad seed concept that people are born evil? You know, it's one of the most popular questions, I think, in psychiatry and mental health. And something that I will say as a preface is that I actually don't think people are good or bad. I think there's bad actions and good actions. Because in the certain in certain circumstances, we could all be capable of committing murder. Given the right situation, everyone is capable of it. But in Euron's case, um, you know, it's hard to say whether it's just a bad seed or bad circumstances, a mixture of both. And that's frequently what we see in psychiatry. It's, it's never a clear answer. There are components 
to it that are genetic. So we'll see certain changes in the brain that happen with people that are diagnosed with psychopathy. And we'll see certain changes in the way they react to stress or emotions when we look at brain imaging studies. So there's definitely a component of it that is like biological. But then the other part of it is there's also circumstances that change and shape an individual into who they are. And I know Chris can talk more about the history of how much Euron got away with lying and never really had any repercussions for it, that it became really second nature for him. Yeah. Is that why you kind of like went with the name pathological because of like, you know, the lies are really weaved throughout this entire story and they link to every, you know, to all the murders. They do. And that's, that's the through line with Yoren's story is the lying. And it's been there with him from the beginning, from uh, long before Natalie Holloway came to Aruba. He learned early on that he could lie and get away with things without consequences. And the lies just kind of snowballed, got bigger and bigger. And then uh, by the time uh, Natalie Holloway disappeared, he was very adept at lying and, and felt very comfortable to, you know, just kind of go along with it and, and tell his story and change it multiple times and uh, without any fear of reprisal. And so as we dug into his various stories about Natalie, we ended up counting, I think, about 12 very distinct versions of what happened to Natalie. Um, the most recent of those being last October when he finally said that he did kill her um, and then had a brand new story about how he killed her and what he did with her body. And so um, that's been, that's been his constant. The one thing that's constant about him is that, you know, you never know if he's telling the truth and usually he's not. It's so interesting too, because, you know, we hear a lot from, you know, obviously the families, but we, you know, we see from the very beginning Yoren's mother from the very beginning it's she has unwavering support and she really declares her son's innocent from the jump I mean do you think that that sort of attitude is what contributed to like why he lied so much over the years well Aisha could go into the psychiatry of it I think what I noticed about his mother is she seemed like a very um well-meaning person. She's very well-respected in Aruba still today. She was an art teacher. Um, and you can tell in the interviews that uh, we have a couple of clips of her uh, being interviewed uh, early on, and you can just see the heartbreak. You know, she's a victim in this as well. Um, that being said, you know, certainly a case could be made that she let Yorin get away with too much. Um, but as an outsider looking in, it's it's hard to know the details of that, and the, particularly in those years prior to Natalie's disappearance. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, certainly for everyone involved. But Anita emerges as somebody who whose heart was really broken, and you know, really paid a high price for Yorin's actions. Before you started making this film, like, were you aware? I mean, because I wasn't. How many times that Yorin had confess to either murdering Natalie or at least being involved in any way, shape, or form? Or is that something you kind of learned as you were getting more information while making this? Yeah, that, it was staggering to see just how many times the story changed. And what was notable, and the reason that we're doing this now, and what's notable about what happened last year, um, is that he's finally said, yes, I did it. And he'd never said that before. Uh, he's, he admitted that he was the last person seen with Natalie um, on various occasions, but um, he actually even admitted that 
he was present when she died at certain points and, and uh, always in a different way. One in one story, she was, they went back to a friend's house and she fell off a balcony after uh, snorting cocaine and hit her head and died and they disposed of her body. Um, so every time the story has changed and um, I still don't think we know the truth, the hundred percent truth, which is what keeps the mystery going. Aisha, like, what is the difference between someone who is, like, a compulsive liar versus a pathological liar? Like, the types of lies they're telling, why are they telling them? What are they trying to gain from it? So with pathological lying, or and I mean, I think you could almost use them interchangeably as compulsive lying. Compulsive lying is, uh, there's you're driven by some sort of need to lie. Whereas with pathological lying, there isn't necessarily a drive to lie. You just do it. It doesn't cause you any distress. Most of us, when we have to tell a lie, and I can say this personally, I always get really, you know, just my eyes start darting around. Everyone can tell when I'm telling even a white lie. But with someone like you on who's a pathological liar, they lie for the sake of lying. It's a con. It's a deception. They are all about deception. And you know, when it comes to deceiving people and thinking that other people are stupid enough to believe their lies, that's what really gets them off. And so it's not a just a need to lie for, they just feel driven to lie for no necessary reason. It's just they enjoy the lies and can get away with it. And even if someone confronts them on the lie, they just tell another lie. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What I really love uh, about your film is, you know, you go back and forth between May 30th, 20, 2005 and May 30th, 2010, which, you know, as someone who, you know, remembers Natalie Holloway disappearance, like finding out that Stephanie Flores died on the exact same date, that was to me the most shocking part because it felt very like ritualistic in a way. Um, and so I loved how you kind of go back and forth because they are connected because People now know that, you know, Yoren went to prison for the murder of Stephanie Flores and he was extradited to the United States, but not for the murder of Natalie. It was for trying to extort Natalie's mother and say, I will tell you what happened to the remains of your daughter if you pay me, you know, $250,000. 
And so the father essentially sets up with the FBI to agree to do this because they say, look, if we can't get him on the murder, we can at least get him on like wire fraud, something. They get all this information, they record it. For some reason, they sit on it. Do you know why they sat on it for as long as they did? Because they didn't do anything with that information at the time. That money that they gave to them then funded his trip to Peru, which essentially kind of funded the murder of Stephanie Flores. I mean, like he felt good about having one family's murderer pay for another. And this May 30th date was like in his head as something. I mean, I definitely think that's a possibility. There are certain people that like the idea of these anniversaries and, you know, with psychopathic behavior, you tend to want to stick it to people in a way that they might not see coming until later on. So certainly that could have been a very deliberate decision on his part. And Christopher, do you know why the FBI sat on that information for so many years? Um, There's no good answer. And you can see the frustration when we interviewed Beth Holloway's lawyer, John, uh, John Kelly, who was really the front man of that whole operation to, to uh, he went down and met with Yoren and Aruba. He's the one that delivered the money to him. Yoren takes him on a drive and says, uh, points really at a, a random house and says, this is where Natalie's body was buried, um, which was very quickly um, proven to be a lie. Um, and, and John in our film says, I just don't know why they didn't pick him up. He, he has no clear answer. Um, the, the uh, whole investigation in Aruba is, um, is mysterious and troubling. And, you know, the fact that really no progress was made and granted there was never a body found, but still uh, it, 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 there's something that stinks about it. And um, you know, from the very beginning, and we talk about this in the film, um, the chief of police, the chief investigator was uh, believed to be Yoren's godfather and was very, a very close friend of Yoren's father. Um, so that gives you pause immediately. But the fact that, you know, uh, months and months went by, the investigation really didn't go anywhere, you know, begs a lot of questions. And I think part of it certainly was that Yoren um, just never cracked. They couldn't crack him. Um, and apparently he did, um, suffer through some really harsh interrogation tactics uh, and still never admitted to killing her and never gave them enough to go on. Um, but you, you do have to wonder if there was some ulterior motive uh, behind the scenes that kept Aruba from really pushing forward in the way that they could have. Yeah. I mean, I like that you point that out, you know, because obviously his father was a prominent attorney and like you said, was really close with the chief of police and then dies of a heart attack. And, you know, many people, you know, think like just the weight and maybe the guilt could have contributed to this, you know, of course, we'll never know. And then, of course, even after his death, Yorin then tries to say that his father was involved in disposing of the body, which is, you know, he he passes the blame. He tried to pass it off to his friends, the Calpo brothers. He tried to pass the blame to everyone. And like you point out, you know, It wasn't until he got to Alabama where he finally took accountability. But even then, you know, the father, the brother, it doesn't seem like they really believe the story because can you ever really believe a pathological liar? I mean, isn't that the point? Like you're never going to get to any truth with them at all. Yeah. And and that's part of his tactic, I think, is to, you know, just make your head spin with so many different stories that at some point you lose track and there's just no way to break that cycle. But uh, Aisha, you could probably elaborate a little more on on that tactic. 
You know, the more we look at Euron and his history of just manipulation and lying and deceit, he is someone that really finds a source of entertainment in this. And this is his power play. He is someone that is narcissistic, has a very enhanced view of his self-worth. And right now his worth is in not telling the whole story to keep everybody on the edge of their seats. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years we hear a different version of events. And that's that's continuously something that can be expected for him because once he tells the truth, he's irrelevant. He no longer matters. He's no longer part of the narrative and the story's not kept alive. Right now he's achieved notoriety and fame. And so this is this is a game. I mean, even just thinking back, I mean, it's been almost 20 years at this point and he has been able to sort of be relevant all these years. Yeah, I don't think he ever wants to tell because, you know, he has the possibility of actually walking out of prison when he's like 57 years old. That's still an entire life he can lead, which is terrifying for other reasons. I'm curious, Christopher, you know, how hard was it get to get people to participate in this film? You know, it was really just like I loved seeing some of Natalie's, you know, friends who were there, like they were the last people to see her that day, you know, and I'm curious, like, you know, have they just gone along and they just want to find sort of resolution in this? And so they want to participate. Are they tired of it? And I, of course, want to know how you got Eva. Yeah. I'm so curious how you got her to participate because isn't she a fugitive right now? She is. Yeah, that was, um, so Peru, um, we hired a local producer down, uh, based in Lima who specializes in crime stories and, um, she was just terrific and she had so many connections and she knocked it out of the park. Um, she was able to book us, you know, virtually everybody who was a significant player in the case down there. Um, but yeah, certainly her, her crowning achievement was getting Ava who we can't, I guess we can't disclose, you know, what part of Peru she lives in, but it's not Lima. It's a remote area. Um, and she was able through her connections to get a a phone number for her, um, or maybe a phone number for a family member, but somehow she was able to finally get in touch with her and, uh, and get her to talk, which was just terrific. Um, she'd never done an interview before and hasn't since. Um, so that was a really important piece for us. Um, as far as um, the Natalie side, we had the support of, um, we, we communicated with Natalie's parents through their lawyers, but um, uh, it was always, uh, you know, a, a very positive relationship. Um, her parents ultimately did not sit for original interviews with us, but there's so many interviews of them over the years that, you know, it actually served the film well to see the progression of their uh, story and of their state of mind through the years. But we did interview their son, Matt, who's Natalie's brother. And, um, which I thought was refreshing because Matt hasn't done press. Um, he's, he's just recently done uh, a couple of news interviews, but this is the first documentary he sat for. And, um, just a, just such a terrific guy. And, um, it was clear to me that, you know, Beth wants to kind of, she wants to stand back now. Um, now that this has all essentially been as settled as it ever will be for her. Um, and Matt is sort of picking up that baton and he wants to continue to search for answers and, um, 
continue to um, put pressure on Aruba to do the right thing. So uh, it was nice to get him. And uh, the hardest nut for us to crack was getting people in Aruba um, to get uh, particularly people involved with the investigation. We were, uh, you know, every door was closed, uh, which I think speaks volumes about, um, you know, their, uh, you know, their reticence certainly is something, something curious. Um, uh, But we did get, several locals in Aruba to give their side of the story. One was um, Beth and Dave Holloway's lawyer, a uh, local lawyer. And the other, uh, another really interesting one was um, a man who basically served, he was a uh, lifelong Aruban, but he had studied in the United States. He spoke, um, he sort of spoke like an American. He spoke really good English and he ended up being Beth's uh, liaison uh, when she first came down in those early weeks um, of, of trying to find Natalie. And he was there um, and actually was the person who elicited Joran's first confession oh, wow. uh, outside of his house the night after Natalie disappeared. And, you know, he, he had a great line in which he said, you know, I didn't know if he was guilty, but I, I did think he wasn't innocent. Um, you know, which I <laughs> certainly uh, is spot on. Do you know, is the Vandersloot family still in Aruba? Like wh- what has happened to them? Uh, his mother is still there. I believe one of his two brothers is still there. And the other brother, um, as far as I can tell, is a talent agent in Los Angeles. Oh, um, really? And works with comedic talent. <laughs> really? Yeah. So oh, God. understandably, he did not want to participate. Um, it's, it's not good for business. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Aisha, I'm so curious because, like, one of the things, you know, that, like, astounded me was finding out that Yoren, you know, over his years in prison in Peru has had, you know, seven different conjugal visits that he's been allowed. He got married. He had a child. And while he was married, he had another girlfriend, Eva, who became his girlfriend, ended up, you know, smuggling the drugs in. And that's why she is a fugitive now. What is the psychology behind these women who are attracted to serial killers, to men, to murder? Like, what is happening there? If you think at the basic level, women are always attracted to the bad boy. And it's not meant to minimize it in any way, but there is some sort of attraction to that darkness. Once you get into serial killers and people that have actually murdered people, you would think that there would be some sort of danger signal that comes on. But I think for some of these women... It's the idea of being close to that fame and notoriety that you get to be associated with this person. You get to be, you get to know intimate details about the case. And in that way, you achieve some sort of fame along with it. But there's a safety of he's in prison. He's not coming out. So I'm not going to die or get murdered, but I can still be associated with this. And then there's some women that truly 
I think delusionally, uh, a little bit delulu, uh, you know, in the sense that they really think that they can save this person. I'm going to change his life. I'm the person that's going to show him right from wrong and they're going to change. And I'm the savior that they needed. I'm the relationship Mm -hmm. that'll make him change. You also mentioned in your doc that this case got more media coverage than the Iraq war at the time. You know, what is your, why do you think that this particular case has just like, it really has, I I think, captivated people. I don't think that they're sick of hearing about it. I know it sounds, you know, bad. It's, you know, but what do you think is in particular about this story is why people are so drawn to it? Uh, I think there's a few different things. One is just this um, horrible tragedy of a girl going to celebrate her high school graduation with her friends in what's supposed to be paradise and a place that nothing could, could go wrong and to have her never come home. And um, I think a large part of it too is that uh, most of these cases uh, are resolved one way or the other within the first few weeks and even few days. Um, the fact that on this tiny island, her body was never found, no trace of it, no piece of hair, no clothing, no shoe, nothing, um, was just such a strange um, mystery, you know, that um, there was no closure. And, and you need closure for these things to kind of fade uh, from, from people's consciousness, I think. Um, you know, I think part of it, too, was her parents, uh, and particularly her mother, just continuing to push and push and push and push, uh, to keep this in the headlines, um, you know, to push for answers, to put pressure on the investigators. She was, um, you know, she was tirelessly, uh, working and behind the ca- you know, in front of the camera all the time. So that kept it in the headlines. And, you know, I think this is, here's this beautiful American girl who seems to have it all. And, um, you know, there's just no answers about what happened to her. And I I think that's just, you know, inherently compelling. And Aisha, so they said that the reason, you know, because Yorn is basically serving 28 years for the murder. He got an additional 18 years for the drug smuggling. He got 20 years for the wire extortion in the U.S., but he's going to serve his time all in Peru. Um And so he has, you know, the possibility again of getting out, I think it's 2045. And I'm sure people are like, you know, why? And I guess in Peru, they don't really believe in lifelong incarceration because they believe that everybody has a chance to be rehabilitated. I'm curious, like when someone has a diagnosis of this type, do you believe that rehabilitation is possible? It really is case and individual dependent. Um, certainly so. So, you know, if there's someone that has aggressive impulses and that can be treated with medication and therapy, that's different than someone that's predatory and, uh, you know, looks for a victim, looks for reasons to exploit other people and deceitfulness. Those aren't things that can necessarily be changed even in therapy, because most likely that person is going to lie and never tell you the truth in therapy. So you're never really treating the person. Um, So in that sense, you know, I mean, they've tried to look at for what we diagnose before psychopathy is antisocial personality disorder is the formal label for it in psychiatry. And they looked into treating psychopaths. And I think in the 70s, it was that 
they used to use the therapist and the psychopath um, would take LSD and they would be in a nude pool and they were trying to determine whether that would be therapeutic for them. And so they've tried different methods, albeit really strange with the LSD and nudity, um, but there hasn't been any effective form of treatment that's been identified yet. And I don't know if there ever will be, to be honest, because again, you have to have identifiable symptoms that you're targeting and whether they respond to medication or not. But someone who's not truthful and doesn't tell you what's really going on and is always lying to you, it's a cat and mouse game constantly. And that's not treatable. (laughs) The biggest issue, especially even in Euron's case, is that everyone knows bits and pieces of the story, right? His mom, it's so easy in hindsight to be like, well, obviously your kid was not doing okay. Like he was abusing animals, pushing homeless people off the street, physically assaulting people, sexually assaulting people. But what she might've seen is only the part where he's constantly lying and they might've been smaller lies. Um, You know, he was an all-star tennis champion. So to her, he was just maybe acting a little bit out, but not necessarily knowing the full story where she would be like, I'm concerned about my son's behavior. Whereas now we know all these bits and pieces and we can say clearly there were warning signs. And with psychopathy, there's a precursor that happens in childhood because psychopathy doesn't just start at 18. You really see early signs in childhood. So someone that is um, has fire-setting behaviors, someone that hurts animals, someone that is a bully and gets into frequent fights with other people, uses a weapon, has damaged property, There's just multiple different symptoms that when you add them up, if they have that in their childhood, then that's usually an indicator that this could progress to psychopathy. Well, the part of the film that really like stood out to me or like it just like stuck with me was when, you know, Stephanie Flores's uh, father was saying, you know, you raise your kids all of these years and then one error takes them away forever. Um, And I just feel like it's, I felt so sad for him in that moment because it's not an error. Like this, again, as we watch this film, every lie that Yorin told just kept building and kept building and creating, like you said, this web. He he left this path of destruction from these lies. I'm curious, though, you know, we get to the end, you know, we have a, you know, confession from Yoron where he in graphically details what he says happens to Natalie that... We don't even know if we believe. But, you know, Christopher, do you think that for families, for people who are involved in this, having any answer at all, even if it's not the truth, is better than not knowing anything at all? Well, I think for Beth, but just the fact that he finally said, yes, I was the one who murdered her and basically said that he did it alone. Um at, you know, 18 years in, it's going to, I guess, have to be enough for her. Um, and it is something, you know, um, for him to finally fess up. Um, at least that is something. Um, and I think she probably knows, and I can't speak for her, but, you know, just based on conversations with uh, her lawyer, John, and her son, Matt, um, they know what Yorin's about. And they, they don't certainly expect that... Um, you know, every word in that confession was true, but the fundamental fact that he murdered her and admitted to it, I think, you know, even it took him 18 years just to get that, 
you know, and so I think, I think Beth is, you know, at peace with it now as much as she can be. Well, thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Aisha, for joining Pop Crime. Is there anywhere else people can follow to like continue following your work on social, anywhere you want to tell us? While people are on Peacock, I could plug uh, another film I finished last year, which is uh, still getting a lot of views. It's called To End All War, Oppenheimer and the Atomic Bomb, which was uh, produced to be the documentary companion of the film Oppenheimer. Okay. And um, has been has been well received. So. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for everyone to watch your documentary. It was so eye-opening, so much information that I I didn't know. And I thought I knew so much about this case. And it was there's so much more. So uh, thank you for putting your heart and soul and uh, giving this to us. Sure. Well, thanks for your interest and for having us. Thank, well, thank you. Great to get to talk. Pop Crime is produced by Sean Kilby, Shannon Sassone, and me, Kiki Monique. Editing by Shannon Sassone. Guest booking by Ali Freelander. And be sure to follow me at The Talk of Shame on TikTok and Instagram. And send your emails to podcast at betches.com. Betches.